to Luke chapter 8. We're going to continue our series this morning on the miracles of Jesus. Today, I want to talk to you from the subject, Touching Jesus. Everybody say, Touching Jesus. Luke chapter 8, this is a familiar story uh, about Jairus, the elder of a synagogue, synagogue, and also uh, a woman who is nameless who had an issue of blood. She had a physical issue there, and uh, we're going to read about that in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What an amazing story. Amen. Father, we just ask for your blessing, Lord, upon your word today. We've gathered here today, Lord, to worship you and to hear from you. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you would uh, empower me, enable me to be able to present your heart today. And Lord, that you would touch the, the hearts and the ears of those that are listening here in person and online to receive a word in season from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So the story here opens with this huge crowd that uh, is following Jesus. Uh, Jesus has become known as, as a healer. He's known as a, a miracle worker, somewhat of a celebrity in this time, especially in a, in a day when there's uh, limited doctors, um, who not just limited in number, but limited in their, in their ability. Uh, medicine, very limited. Sickness, suffering was very common. People with disease, injury, infirmity were, were everywhere. And so we see Jesus here. If you read in Mark chapter, in Gospel of Mark chapter 5, it says that Jesus came off of a boat. He was traveling across the lake. He came off the boat, and as soon as he came off the boat, this mob was waiting for him. And as soon as he sets foot on the, on the shoreline, this crowd rushes him. They're thronging him. They're pulling at him. They're pushing their way at him. Jesus, uh, uh, Peter said the, the, they're thronging. They're pressing against you, right? They're calling his name. They're trying to get his attention. Just imagine this crowd, this mob of people. And in this crowd, we see that there are two individuals that are called out in this story that Luke highlights. In verse 41, one of these is a man named Jairus. And Jairus is an elder, a ruler, the leader of the local synagogue. And he falls down at, to the ground at Jesus' feet, and he begs Jesus to come to his home. 
Because verse 42 says that he has an only daughter, one child, 12 years old, and she was dying. We don't know what what happened to her, if she had a disease or maybe an accident and she had a fatal injury. We don't know the details. All we know is that she is dying. And so Jesus agrees to go with Jairus. And as they go, the crowd continues to throng him, which brings us to the second person in this narrative. Most of us know her as the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name. Verse 43 says that for 12 years, which is interesting because that's the same age of Jairus' daughter, for 12 years she had this bleeding condition where she would go to doctors and, and over the course of time she spent all of her money, all of her livelihood, the scripture says, all of her resources, but no one could help her. A little context here about this woman and this condition that she had. Because of certain laws in, in Leviticus, Mosaic Old Testament laws, this woman, because of her bleeding, would be perpetually unclean. And there's a scripture there in Leviticus chapter 15 that I'm going to put up behind me. I'm not going to take the time to read it. But it basically means that because of this condition, she would not have been permitted to enter uh, the, the temple, to go near the temple, to worship. This meant that anyone she touched would be made unclean. And as a result, they would not be able to go to temple for worship. She made, now think about this, she, because of her condition, she made everyone around her that she interacted with unclean. So as a result, it's very likely that she had no place in her community. She had no social life. She was isolated. She was locked out of, of, of just public life. Imagine her friends, if she had any at the time, probably left her, abandoned her. Her family, if she had any, siblings, parents, whatever, probably stayed at a distance, right? The elders, the pastors in her life, the Pharisees, right, would bar her from the synagogue. She would not be allowed to come into the synagogue and participate in community worship. This woman was an outcast. She was, she was unclean. You can imagine her walking into a room. As soon as she walks into a room, right, everyone avoids her. Everyone moves. Imagine if that's you. Everyone moves away from you, right? No one wants to talk to you. No one wants to even acknowledge you. No one wants that awkwardness of eye contact, what to say, how to react, right? And so wherever this woman went, woman went she was alone. Even in a crowd, she was, she was alone, she would get this sense that the people around her wished that she wasn't even there, that, or that she would, she would leave, that she would, she would go away. They would want nothing to do with her. And this is the way life would have been for her in a strict religious community such as was the Jewish culture back then. Not only that, not only is she an outcast and isolated, she's poor. Whatever money she had is gone. Verse 43 says she spent it all on doctors, right? And maybe because of that, because she doesn't have any family that are going to welcome her in, maybe she's homeless, maybe living on the street, maybe she's a, she's a beggar. And let's not forget, in addition to that, that she's an outcast and she's poor and maybe even homeless, about the physical suffering that she was enduring every day, this constant discharge, this, this cramping, the weakness that would, that would result, being ex exacerbated by poor nutrition, right? Exposure to the elements. This woman is the picture 
of not just suffering, but suffering in isolation. What a tragic, sad condition that she found herself in. But what I find amazing about this text is it combines these two stories into one. The Jewish elder and the unclean woman. Two totally different people from two totally different circumstances. She was unclean and rejected. He was admired and respected. He was a respected religious leader. She was a social outcast and a reject. And it reminds us, it reminds me that no matter who you are, even if you're like this religious elder, maybe you are you are someone who's respected and admired in your world, in your career, in your profession, whatever it is. Or maybe you're someone who feels like an outcast like this woman. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel like even in a crowd, you're all alone and no one wants to be around you. No matter who you are, high or low, tragedy happens to us all. All of us. Hers was a prolonged agony. Every day drained her of her resources. His was sudden, came out of nowhere. His daughter is about to die. But notice where Jesus is in this picture. He's right in the middle of these tragedies. You notice that? He's not a high and lofty God sitting on a throne in heaven like many religions would present God, right? Distant from man, uncaring, right? No, Jesus is the picture of God incarnate, putting himself right in the midst of human suffering, no matter who you are, what walk of life you are from, whether you are wealthy, poor, whether you are respected or rejected, Jesus puts himself right in the middle of our suffering and our tragedy. He's available. He's accessible. He's interested. Hallelujah. The book of Hebrews says it like this, that he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. It says this, for we do not have a, a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us, look at this, I love this verse, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hallelujah. Everybody say touched. He is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Just like this elder touched Jesus with a cry for help. Just like this unclean woman rejected by everyone else touched Jesus at the hem of his garment. So he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Hallelujah. Now the presence of this elder, it shows me something. That you might be a person who has it all together. You might have a great career. You might have a wonderful home and family. You might be wealthy and respected, loved in the community. But no matter who you are and how well off you may be, none of us is insulated from hardship and pain and tragedy. That's what I see when I look at this ruler of the synagogue right? This man's position, his wealth, his status could not insulate him from suffering. 
You know, in our area, in the Hudson Valley, I think the Hudson Valley is one of the, the most beautiful areas in the nation. I really do. Much better than any state south of Georgia. It... I don't want to hear anything from you right now, okay? <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful areas of our country. And you know, in the Hudson Valley, there's some beautiful, beautiful neighborhoods, some beautiful homes, amen? Right? There really are. There's some incredible, incredible homes. And you drive down some of these communities, these neighborhoods, you see these beautiful, you know, three-story homes, long driveways, lush lawns, expensive cars in the driveways, and you look at that and you think, boy, the people living in that home, they're so well off, you know, they're, they must have, you know, great resources and comfortable and, and wealthy. But here's the thing, so many of these beautiful homes, if you could open that big, beautiful front door and walk into that home, you would see people who are hurting just like the woman with the issue of the blood. Walk into those homes, and you would find parents who are full of fear because of what's happening to their children. You would find marriages that are on the rocks. You would find sickness and disease. You would find cancer. You would find all kinds of struggles and hardship and hurting in those big, beautiful homes. No matter how big and how beautiful your home is, Tragedy finds us all, amen? Now, don't say, well, Pastor, I don't receive that. That's a negative. You can not receive it all you want, right? But even Jesus talked about how adversity and tribulation finds us all. Finds us all, right? The good news is this. Jesus is accessible to you. Come on, don't... Don't think that because, you know, you're a $300,000 a year salary person that you, don't, you need Jesus. That's what we learned from this ruler of the synagogue. He came to a point in his life where he realized that he needed something. He needed someone bigger than himself. That all of the resources that he had, all of the wealth, the respectability that he had could not solve the crisis that he had in his family, in his own soul. And what did he do? He came to Jesus. This is the condition of us all. We're all at a point where we need Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen, church? And the good news is that Jesus is accessible to you. He's available to you. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God has made himself available to you through Jesus Christ. That's what the story of Jesus is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That God is, he is high and holy in heaven. And he is separated from mankind because of our sin. But he doesn't want to be separated. And so he sent Jesus. Jesus came. He is God, incarnate in the flesh. And Jesus identified with mankind and took our sins upon himself, went to the cross, bore the wrath of God in our place 
so that we could have forgiveness from sin, so that we could have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, so that now we can do what? Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. Hallelujah. That's the gospel right there. And it's available to all of us. He's accessible. Verse 44 says that the woman came from behind, touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. So let's just take a moment and let's just remind ourselves and celebrate the reality that the power of God is still flowing to us today. Amen? Hallelujah. We believe that he is still a healer, that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Malachi, the prophet, said, speaking for the Lord, I am the Lord, I change not. If he healed then, he heals now. If he healed yesterday, he heals today. If he is a miracle-working God, when, he, when Jesus walked the earth, he's a miracle-working God with Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. He's a God that still heals He still answers prayer. He still works miracles in our lives. Amen? We can't step over that. We can't brush that aside. We need to acknowledge that right now, that he's a healer, and he's a prayer-answering God. We're going to pray for you today at the end of this service. We're going to open the altars, and if you need prayer, you need to get to the altar today and get prayed for, because we're going to agree with you that God is going to step up in your life. Amen? She touched Jesus, the scripture says. She reached out, she grabbed the hem of his garment, and she was healed immediately. Everybody say immediately. Immediately. The flow of her blood was healed, the scripture says. And we love it when those immediately miracles happen. How many love those immediately, right? We love those immediately's. I don't even know if that's a word, immediately's. Is that a word? It is now, right? Yes. We love the immediately's. Come on, say it with me, immediately's. That's a good word, right? We need more immediately's, don't we, today? We love the, the immediately's when they come. But here's the thing. For Jairus, for Jairus, it wasn't immediate. For Jairus, there was a time element involved. There was a journey involved. There was a process involved in that healing. Amen? right? The process of asking Jesus, then walking with Jesus, then bringing the presence of Jesus into his home, into his life. It wasn't like the woman where, you know, she just reached out in faith and and got it immediately, right? Or like the centurion. Remember I preached in in Luke chapter 5, the centurion. He said, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. The servant will be healed, right? Jesus didn't even need to go to the house. The the, the centurion got it immediately, right? Sometimes he's the God of the immediate, and sometimes he's the God of timing and process. Now, why why was her healing immediate, and why did Jairus have to wait? What's the difference here? What's at play? What's going on here, right? Well, we say, well, it was her faith, and that's what Jesus said. And and we need to be careful here because of what Jesus said, because some people take that that statement from Jesus, your faith has made you whole, and they want to turn it into some kind of a formula, right? That if we believe the right way, that if we say the right words, right, that if we make the right confession, that if we're, if, we're, if we're 
persistent enough, if we push enough, if we're hungry enough, right, then we'll show God that we're good enough for his power to come into our lives. And we need to be careful about turning this story into something that it's not meant to be. I want to submit to you today that her faith was not some super spiritual, deep theological faith. I want to submit to you that her faith was just the opposite. Jesus said in Matthew 17, faith like a mustard seed will move mountains. And then he said in Matthew 18 that that faith like a little child will make you great in the kingdom of God. I want to submit to you that this woman, she did not accurately understand the basic tenets of systematic theology. She didn't understand exactly who Jesus was in the incarnation and and the vicarious substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus and all the atonement and all of the implications there. She didn't understand all the religious requirements of him as the kinsman redeemer. She didn't understand theology. All she knew was this. If I can just get to Jesus, I will be made whole. Simple. Childlike mustard seed faith. You see, religion back then, the law would say, well, before you can expect anything from God, you got to get clean first, right? You got to deal with this blood thing you got going on because you're unclean because you got this thing in your life. You got to deal with that first, right? And after you deal with that first, get some doctors, spend some more money, right? Take care of you. After you get yourself cleaned up, then you got to go to the to the priest and you got to prove that you're clean. And then you've got to sit outside. You can't go to synagogue or anything for seven days. You got to prove you got to go through all of these steps, all of these hoops, all of these things. Then you're gonna have to bring an offering. Then you're gonna have to go through all these routines, right? And this woman, she she didn't care about any of that. I don't even know if she knew about any of that. She certainly didn't do any of that. She just said, if I could just get to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what drew God's power into her life. It was her trust in the grace that comes through the name of Jesus. Right? Even today, religion will tell you, well, you got to do these sacraments. Right? You got to go through these rituals. You got to say these prayers. You got to give this up for Lent, right? You've got to go through these rituals, right? But grace says this you can never do enough. You can never do enough. You can never say enough prayers and do enough deeds and be a religious. You can never do enough to make yourself good enough for God. That's why Jesus did it for you on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. Hallelujah. The Bible said where sin abounds, grace, isn't that good, much more abounds. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That's what the gospel is all about. You can't clean yourself up. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to go through all of these, all of these steps and all of these rituals. Jesus says, just come to me and grab a hold of my garment. And when you grab a hold of my garment, something's going to flow into your life. And that something is called grace and mercy. And you can come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy to obtain help in your time of need. Hallelujah. Why? Because he's the priest that is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He's right in the midst of our tragedy and he cares. That's where he's put himself. That's where he's positioned himself. But there's more than that in this story. Verse 45 says that after the woman is healed, Jesus said, who touched me? 
When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? Jesus said, somebody touched me. I perceived power going out from me. He said, I perceived power going out. That's interesting, isn't it? I perceived power going out from me. In other words, he didn't notice the power going out from him until he felt it leaving him. How many are getting that? Right? All of a sudden, there was this awareness on Jesus. Power is going out of me. What does that mean? That means that he didn't will this healing to happen. He did not make a conscious decision to heal her. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that this is the sovereignty of God at work through Jesus. Understand, when Jesus ministered, he ministered not as the divine second person of the Trinity. He ministered as a man dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said in Luke 4, he said, the anointing is upon me to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to bring deliverance to the captives, right? He said it's the power. He said, In fact, he said, I do nothing of myself in John chapter 5. I only do what the Father teaches me or tells me to do through the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? Every supernatural thing that Jesus did, yes, he could have done it in his own power, but Philippians 2 says that Jesus humbled himself, right? He set aside all of his divine right and privilege. He never stopped being God. He was always God, right? But he humbled himself and took upon the form of a servant. He became a man, right? So everything he did in his life, he did as our examples, example as men and women so we can see how that we can also operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see all the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12 at operation in the, in the life of Jesus. The word of knowledge, the working of miracles, the discerning of spirits, the gifts of healings, and word of wisdom down through the... You see them all working in the body, in the life of Jesus, right? And this was an instance where the sovereignty of God worked through him because of his grace in conjunction with this woman's faith. The sovereignty of God. Here's the point. Here's the point. All of our praying, all of our asking, all of our touching, all of our believing must be set against the backdrop of the sovereignty of God. Yes, we ask. Yes, we seek. Yes, we believe. But we know that ultimately God is sovereign and we submit to his perfect will. Right? And here's why. Let's look again. Verses 48 and 49. Look at these two verses here. Because when you consider these two verses in tandem, they're two very difficult scriptures. Verse 48, he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. And then verse 49, while he was speaking, while he was saying that, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the master. One is healed immediately, one is not. Are you getting this here? Imagine putting yourself in that, right? You're watching this, this woman get immediately healed, and just as you see her get healed, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, your daughter's dead. Your faith has made you well. Your daughter is dead. This is where many people are living today, right between verses 48 and 49. They're in that space. Maybe you feel like one of those people in the crowd. There are a lot of other people in that crowd, right? Unnamed, unknown people. Think about it. It wasn't just Jairus and the woman. There were 
Think about all the needs that were there in the crowd. Think about all of the sick children represented in that crowd. Think about all of the cancer in that crowd. Think about all of, all of the pain and the affliction and the torment and the tragedy. Why do you think people were thronging Jesus? Because of the pain in their lives, the hardship that they were going through. They're thronging Jesus. They're looking for an answer to prayer. They're, they're looking for God to do something. Intervene. Gee, God, intervene in my situation. And they watch as this woman is healed while their situation's getting worse. Then the voice comes to Jairus, don't trouble the master. He's not going to help you. Don't bother praying. There's no hope. There's no hope. And that's a voice that we all hear from time to time. How many have ever heard that voice? Right? That comes to us when things seem to be getting worse. A voice that comes from within ourselves, right? God's not going to heal me. God's not going to help me. God's not responding. And then, of course, the enemy comes alongside of that. He sees our vulnerability, starts whispering to us, right, with the condemnation, the fear, the imaginations, right? You get a, do- a report from the doctor. The enemy comes in and starts to twist it and turn it and manipulate, turns it into a, a, a death sentence. That's how the enemy works. He takes facts, right, and he turns those facts into lies, you get a report from the doctor, that's a fact. You got a report. That's what the x-ray, that's what the test results are. That's a fact. Now the enemy's going to come and he's going to take that fact and he's going to blow it up into a lie. Well, that's the end. It's all over. You get laid off from work, right? That's a fact. You got, everybody say that's a fact. Then the enemy comes along and he wants to blow it into a lie. Well, that's it. You're going to lose your house, right? You're going to have to move back into your parents' basement. Right? You're never going to achieve your dreams. What are you going to, right? And the enemy just starts to, starts to twist everything in our right. You get a message about, you hear something about your son or, or your daughter, right? And what they're getting involved in or what happened. Maybe you get a call from the police one night. That's the fact, right? Everybody say fact. And then the enemy comes along and starts to twist it into a lie. Well, what's going to happen now? It's going to become an addiction. It's going to become a felon going to end up in a recovery program somewhere, right? But then, as soon as Jairus heard that word, don't trouble the master, then the word came from Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. What did he say in verse 50? Don't be afraid. Only believe. It should be made well. Hallelujah. See, there comes a point in this process where we've got to turn our ears from listening to our own thoughts and listening to the attacks of the enemy and listen to what God is saying in his word. What is the word that God has for your situation? It it may not be exactly that, but what is the word that God... Are you listening? What is God saying to you? You lost your job? Okay. What is God saying to you in this situation? What clarity does he want to bring into your circumstance? Okay, you got a bad report from the doctor, but what is God saying to you in that situation? Don't get stuck on the bad report. What is God? Are you listening? Are you hearing? Get into the Word. Ask the Lord, Lord, I need a, I need a word beyond this word, God. I need a revelation beyond this fact, God. I need you to speak something into my life. What is God saying? What's the word from the Lord for your situation? I don't know what it is. I can pray for you. I can love on you. I can encourage you. I can call you on the phone and tell you, we're here for you, but you need more than that. 
You need more than a call from the pastor. You need more than a word from a deacon. You need a word from heaven about your situation and what God is trying to bring into your mind. What kind of clarity? What kind of direction? What kind of revelation? What is the word from God for your situation? Amen? You may not receive exactly what you want when you want it, but don't take that to mean that God doesn't care and that God's not with you. He's with you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm with you. Jairus, I'm with you. I know it looks bad, but I'm with you. Hallelujah. I have a plan. Everybody say a plan. I have a plan, right? How many believe that God has plans, right? Come on, do you believe that, that God has plans, right? Now, how many of us know what those plans are? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if God said, okay, here's the plan. All right, hold on, because here's the plan. I know you got a bad report, but just this is what I'm doing, okay? Three days from now, two weeks from now, things are going, this is going to happen. This is, wouldn't it be nice if God did that, right? If he ha- he has a, we know he has a plan. If he would just tell us a plan, God, what's the plan? See, but the word that he gives us is not a word to tell us about the plan. It's usually a word that tells us to trust. Amen. Hallelujah. Remember, sometimes he's the God of the immediate. Sometimes he's the God of process and timing. And it's in that process and timing where we have to do what? We have to trust, right? Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Amen? Amen. Am I talking to anybody here today about, right? Lean not on your understanding. Your ability to trust God cannot be dependent on your ability to to understand what he's doing. That's what faith and trust is all about. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. So if you're living between verses 48 and 49, between your faith has made you whole and your daughter is dead, if you're living between that right now, understand that Jesus is still with you. He's still with you. Amen? Hallelujah. And just because he's not working in your situation, Jairus, the way he worked in that woman's situation, just because he's not doing the same thing the same way doesn't mean he's not working. Amen? Hallelujah. Because he is working. You see, he had a plan. Here's the thing. I'm going to make this point. I'm going to close. Jairus had a goal. He had a desired outcome for his situation. He wanted his daughter to be healed. How many get that, right? That was his plan. I submit to you that Jesus had a, he had a, a goal. He had a plan also, but it was different from Jairus's. His plan was not so much about the healing. Jesus wanted to use that situation to bring Jairus's faith and understanding of who Jesus was to a whole new level. You see, Jairus knew D- Jesus was a healer. He knew he was capable of healing. But what Jairus didn't know is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, right? And the same with Peter, James, and John, because as you read on the story, he takes Peter, James, and John into the house of Jairus to see the little girl get raised from the dead. He wanted to elevate everyone's faith in that room to a new place of understanding who Jesus is. Some of us, we only see Jesus one way. As a God who answers prayer. And when we have a problem, we come, we want to pull certain levers, and we want God to answer those prayers. And God's saying, look, I'm not a genie in heaven. I don't exist just to give you everything that you want. I'm deeper than that. I'm greater than that. I'm bigger than that. I'm going to demonstrate myself in different ways, better ways, bigger ways than that. 
And the only way to get you to understand who I am in a greater way is to let you go through this journey. You got to take this journey. All right? Amen? You gotta t- everybody say, take the journey. You got to take the journey with Jesus. That's what I should have called that. That's what I should have called this one. Take the journey with Jesus. That would have been a good one, right? Hallelujah. But he wanted Jairus, he wanted James, Peter, James, and John to understand who he was. And the only way that they could get to that level of faith was by allowing the prayer that Jairus had to not be answered for a season. Hello? You seeing that? He had to allow Jairus to go through that so that on the other side, right, Jesus would do something totally different. Peter, James, and John would have never understood who Jesus is unless they'd witnessed that. Amen? Now, I know we want him to be the healer, but Jesus is saying to us today, he's saying to you today, I'm much more than a healer. I'm much more than a healer. I'm your shepherd when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can you see me as your shepherd? I'm your peace in the midst of a storm. Can you see me, right, as the peacemaker in your storm? Or are you only going to see me as a healer? I'm a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When everyone else has walked away from you and and no one else can give you help and encouragement, I'll be there as a friend. I'm not just a healer. Don't just see me as a healer. See me as a shepherd. See me as peace, a peacemaker. See, see me as a, as, as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm the fourth man in your fire. Can you see me as the fourth man in your fire? The one who wants to bring you the, through the fire without the smell of smoke being on you. I want to be able to bring you through this fire in such a way that you won't have the smell of bitterness and anger and resentment upon you. That you won't become cynical and hard-hearted. I can bring you through that fire and deliver you from the smell of smoke, right? I'm a very present help in your time of trouble. Don't just see me as the healer. Don't just see me as the prayer. There's so many different levels and dimensions of who I am and what I can do in your life. I want to show you that I can, be the, I can be a very present help. I can give you wisdom when you need it. I can give you insight. I can give you guidance. I can whisper something into your, into your, into your mind when you need a word. You need a response. Hallelujah. I'm the comforter. I'm the counselor. I'm the one who keeps you from drowning in the midst of the flood. Don't just limit me as a healer because there's so much more that I have for you, so much more that I want to do for you, so much more that I want to show you about myself. Amen? But are you hearing his voice? Or are you just listening to that one voice? Don't bother the master anymore. Let me ask the worship team to join me. Closing with these last few scriptures here. Verse 51, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all out of the house. (laughs) That would have been fun to watch, right? Jesus throws them out of the house. (laughs) Sweet little... Gracious, merciful Jesus, right? You people get out of here. He says. Took her by the hand, and he called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returns. She was dead. Her spirit had left her body. The Bible says that the body without the spirit is dead. Then her spirit returned, and she rose immediately, 
and he commanded that you be given a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> right? Best thing right after you've been raised up from the dead, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Her spirit returned. I just felt compelled to give a word to the parents among us who have prodigals. God has a plan. I don't know where your son or your daughter may be. I don't know what they may be dealing with and going through, but God has a plan. You've planted seeds in those children. You taught them. You showed them. They saw everything in you, right? They know who you serve. Your kids know who you serve. They know who your God is, right? Sometimes he's the God of the immediate. Sometimes he's the God of process and timing, right? But the word is this. The spirit of your son and your daughter is going to return. Hallelujah. The spirit of your son and your daughter is going to return. You keep praying. Keep praying. Come on. Keep praying. Amen? You keep praying, you keep fasting, you keep storming heaven, you keep binding the enemy, you keep pulling down every stronghold by faith and declaring no weapon formed will prosper. Amen? Yeah? You keep praying that God will send the right people into their lives to speak into their lives, and God will do it. Come on, everybody say, He'll do it. He'll do it. He's not done yet. Don't give up. Don't stop. You keep fighting. All right, they're out of your house. They live in another state. I understand that. We get that. We know that. We got five kids. Most of them live in other states, all right? We understand that, right? But you know what? In prayer, in prayer, hallelujah. All God does is just reach out and touch them. doesn't matter where in the world they are. So you keep praying for them. Their spirit is going to return. Amen?